Why did I come down in the basement? What were we just talking about? Whoa, I have a cat? Meow. Do you suffer from short-term memory loss? WCBN is here to help by reminding you that you are listening to WCBN FM Ann Arbor just as often as we can. Now, shouldn't you finish crossing the street? afternoon. You've got Living Writers on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. I'm T. Hetzel, and today I'm so happy to have Lawrence Goldstein here in the studio um, with me. Uh, welcome, Larry. Thank you. Um, we're, we're, it's, it's, um, this is going to be a, a, an interesting uh, Living Writers because today, um, Larry, you're here representing the, the Living the Writers. Living writers. <laughs> 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 and, hope, and we'll get to hear some of your poems mm-hmm. During the course of the show, and you're but you're also here to talk about Robert Hayden um, and and an event that's coming up on Friday, November first. Yes. Um, can Larry, can you tell us a little bit about Robert, like this event? Yes, I'd be glad to. Um, I will sort of go back a ways to start with that uh, when Robert uh, found out he had cancer and um, uh, was going to retire, of course, from the university and um, uh, watch out for himself, uh, there was a big sort of celebration planned for him. Um, And it was sort of hurried up and then finally put in place. He himself was too ill to attend. This is 1980. But um, he um, uh, received a delegation from, you know, friends, who came around his house to say goodbye. But there was a vow made in 1980 by the people who were there that every 10 years there would be a conference in Robert Hayden's honor. Every, every 10 years? Every 10 years. So in 1990, there was a huge memorial concert, uh, memorial uh, conference, and Gwendolyn Brooks and Michael Harper and just many notable poets were there to salute him and papers were given about him and so forth. But somehow after 1990, it slipped away. Um, However, once his centennial was perceived coming from a distance, uh, since he was born in 1913, uh, then everyone agreed we've got to have a big conference, or at least a significant conference, with writers who love his work and want to talk about him. And so on November 1st, Friday, November 1st, we're going to have an all-day conference starting at 10 a.m. in the morning with uh, Harriet Mullen, a very distinguished poet, um, who's going to give the keynote address. 
she'll be introduced by A. Van Jordan of our faculty. And friend of the show. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> and then there'll be a panel at 1.30 uh, with Linda Gregerson and Lawrence Joseph. And Harriet Mullen will be on the panel. And Frederick Glacier, who edited <clears throat> the collected <clears throat> excuse me collected poems of uh, Hayden and then after that there will be readings from Hayden's poems by uh, students mainly MFA students and other people uh, talking about their favorite works and reading his his poems. So it's going to be a wonderful uh, day. It'll be at the Rackham Amphitheater, which is, I think, the most splendid venue for readings on campus. And um, it will just be terrific. And who knows if if and when there will be another conference. So I think everyone who uh, is interested in Hayden or wants to hear more about him should definitely attend. And, well, it's, it does sound wonderful. A tribute to a consultant in poetry to the Library of Congress and yes. University of Michigan professor from 1969 to 1980, a centennial conference. Um, yes. So, Larry, you've been working on this a long a while. Like, this was... Like maybe the summer, were you starting to yes, organize uh-huh. this? Yes, conferences take an incredible amount of time to put together. You have to get funding for them, of course, and you have to uh, approach certain uh, writers, and uh, uh, they often take a long time to decide whether they want to attend and so forth. You have to nail down the venue in which you're going to meet. You have to think about providing food or not providing food. Uh, so... Uh, uh, you you can never start planning a conference too early, <laughs> is what I found. Um, and I was uh, one of the three people who planned the conference, the Centennial Conference for Theodore Retke a few years back. Yes. Where Camille Paglia was the keynote, uh, delivered the keynote address. Um, and that was wonderful. That was fascinating. So. Um, oh, I remember that one. Yes. So uh-huh. if that can. Also held in, in Rackham. Yes. Um, uh-huh. So, yes. <laughs> well, wonderful. So this, so this is the Robert Hayden a Centennial Conference, um, November first. That's Friday, next Friday, um, in the Rackham Amphitheater, with a free and open to the public events. As as Larry said, beginning at ten a.m. with a mm-hmm. keynote address by Harriet Mullen, mm-hmm. um, and we'll we'll remind everyone again oh, as the program goes <laughs> on. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, Larry, before before we go any further, I would like to actually, um, we've got one of your books of poems here on the table um, before us, A Room in California Poems. Um, and I'd like to read the short bio in the back um, uh, just so that folks um, have a sense of where you're coming from before we start also talking about Robert Hayden's um, life and work. Lawrence Goldstein was born and raised in Los Angeles. In 1970, he began a teaching career at the University of Michigan, where he is now a professor of English, and since 1977, the editor of the Michigan Quarterly Review. So some things have have changed. You're still still professor yes, right. mm-hmm. I'm still teaching here but uh, I stepped down as editor of MQR in 2009 and now Jonathan Friedman is the editor um, and you so, have a book coming out now yes uh, I have a book coming out from the University of Michigan Press early next year it's a study a scholarly study but kind of journalistic 
as well, essayistic, I guess I would say, uh, and it's about poems about Los Angeles. So it's kind of a sentimental journey back to my early life uh, uh, because the book is arranged topographically and there are you know, poems, uh, chapters about the freeway, the Pacific Ocean, Hollywood, South Central, and many other places, uh, as well as um, a long chapter on Charles Bukowski, who is, of course, the celebrity face of Los Angeles poetry. Uh, so it, it has been fun to work on. And I started once I stepped down as editor, and now it's finished and it's going through the press, and I'm eager to see what responses I'll get from it. Does Ed Ruscha figure into any of the poems? No, not the poems. I do refer to him a couple of times uh, because, of course... Or in the essays, yes. Yes. uh um, You know, that famous uh, painting of the Hollywood sign, which becomes uh, an icon in many of of the poems, right? And also the one about the Los Angeles uh, County Museum of Art on fire. Uh, (laughs) So, uh, yeah, Ruscha and uh, other artists... um, uh, are are spoken about, but it's mainly poems that I look at and their attitudes and their language uh, and how each poem really forms part of a whole uh, as they comment on each other and reflect off each other in order to build a kind of image of Los Angeles. And, well, uh, and this has been a long time coming because you were born and raised yes, in L.A. Yes. And, and yet it still has such um, a powerful hold on you and your and your creative work yes i go back there a lot uh spend sabbaticals there spend a month maybe during the summer Uh, i have many friends there family so it's really quite a important homeland for me Hmm. Um, and earlier larry you mentioned in um like the why this is the centennial for robert hayden Mm, because born in 1913 um Born in Detroit in 1913, yes, uh-huh. um, and 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 raised growing up in a in an area called Paradise Valley. Mm-hmm. There, maybe mm-hmm. maybe um, it, it feel. Can you can you talk with us a little bit, or talk with me about and for listeners, um, sort of how the foundation of Detroit. Uh, surfaces in Robert Hayden's poetry. Yes. Hayden uh, wrote many poems about growing up in Detroit. Uh, Actually, he doesn't write about Detroit, the Detroit of the post-war period. Um, uh, He left Detroit when he was 23 years old and um, came to Michigan, came to Ann Arbor. He uh, graduated here. He got a job at Fisk University in Nashville. And um, then he was hired back to Ann Arbor. So I think he felt like he lost contact with the Detroit of the boom years following World War II. But he wrote many poems about growing up in the slums, that was his word, for the uh, eastern section of Detroit where he grew up in Paradise Valley, as it was called, and about his complex family situation, which is probably 
you know, maybe too complex to really go into here, but suffice to say that his uh, parents uh, gave him up for adoption, I guess you'd say, because they could not support him, could not support a family. And so he grew up with another family, sort of seeing his mother once, his natural mother once in a while. Um, and he writes about the ambiguity of his of his early life because uh, he was his even when he when he was born um his name was asa bundy sheffy yes uh-huh. um and then when he's a, adopted by this the foster parents by the haydens the yes Hay- mm-hmm. yes he uh yeah he was given that name but um it was his understanding that that name was had been was his official name and that the you know the papers had been filed and he was officially Robert Hayden but when he was about 40 years old he discovered that no papers had ever been filed and so he was officially Asa Sheffy um and so i mean like anyone else he felt divided against himself you know he had a crisis of identity who am i and he has wrote he wrote a number of poems on that subject um uh, so he wrote about um well maybe hmm? maybe we could hear one of those later mm-hmm. but but larry is there mm-hmm. um uh when you, because you've had many, you knew Robert Hayden yes. and worked. Uh, you were colleagues. Yes, here. we were on the same floor. Really, we had offices kind of catacornered to each other on the seventh floor of Haven Hall. You know. And is is there a particular poem that both of you you talked about um, that was from these these earlier this earlier Detroit? Yes. Time? Well, I could I could certainly read one. Um, uh, I think uh, the poem that struck me by Hayden and that I I felt like I needed to talk with him about it and he was willing to do so is called The Rabbi Uh, and this uh, is a memory that Hayden had of uh, Paradise Valley when it was a multi-ethnic community uh, before it became say entirely African American uh, there were many Jews who lived there there were many Chinese there were many uh, white people who were immigrants from Europe and so forth and so it was a very highly textured community but he was fascinated by the Jews uh, there and had friends who you know, Jewish kids who he played with every day. And so he wrote this poem as a kind of memory poem about what that was like. And I'll I'll read it here. The rabbi, where I grew up, I used to see the rabbi, dour and pale in religion's mourner clothes, walking to the synagogue. Once there, did he put on sackcloth and ashes, wail? He would not let me in to see the gold menorah burning. Mezuzah, Pesach, Hanukkah, these were tambored words I learned, were things I knew by glimpses. And I learned Schwarze, too, and Schnapps, which Schwarzes bought on credit from Jew Baby. Tippling ironists laughed and said he'd soon be rich as Rothschild from their swinish Saturdays. Herschel and Molly and I, meanwhile, divvied halva, poly seeds, 
were spies and owls and Fu Manchu. But the synagogue became New Calvary. The rabbi bore my friends off in his prayer shawl. So he's talking about the uh, change in the neighborhood, the fact that uh, everyone except the African-Americans moved out and he lost all of these friends. Um, And he also is responding to the first hints of uh, and evidences of bigotry and prejudice against African-Americans that he experienced firsthand. Um, Thank you for reading that one. Yes. uh Mary, that's... and also with this, um, maybe what we'll do is we'll we'll take a short break now, okay. mm-hmm. and let's let's hear. There's um th- those winter Sundays, the poem yes. those winter Sundays. Mm-hmm. We'll we'll have we'll we'll actually, Liz. Thanks for engineering today. <laughs> Liz will cue it up and um, play Robert Hayden reading those winter Sundays. Wonderful. You've mm-hmm. got living writers today on the program. Mm-hmm. Lawrence Goldstein is here. Um, we're talking about the poet Robert Hayden. We'll be right back. Here is a poem that comes directly out of my boyhood in Detroit, and it's called Those Winter Sundays. Sundays, too, my father got up early and put his clothes on in the blue-black cold, then with cracked hands that ached from labor in the weekday weather, made bank fires blaze. No one ever thanked him. I'd wake and hear the coal splintering breaking. When the rooms were warm, he'd call. And slowly I would rise and dress, fearing the chronic angers of that house, speaking indifferently to him who had driven out the coal, and polish my good shoes as well. What did I know, what did I know, of love's austere and lonely offices? Welcome back. You've got living writers um, today. Um, Lawrence Goldstein and I are talking about Robert Hayden, um, a centennial conference coming up um, next week, Friday, November 1st. And what you just heard then was Robert Hayden reading um, his poem, Those Winter Sundays. What a voice he has. Yes, very beautiful. He had a timbred voice for sure. <laughs> and um, I just want to say about this poem that sometimes uh, people don't quite know what he's referring to in terms of austere and lonely offices. And they think of an office in a building or something. Uh, of course, he's talking about offices in the sense of ceremonies as we would speak of holy offices or last offices um, and uh, the rituals that go along with the rituals of gratitude, the rituals that he violated and now feels remorseful for. It's a wonderful poem, and I think it's a poem that changes people's lives when they read it because they feel that, yes, that's you know, there are people in my past who, you know, I disdained and, you know, did not show gratitude or to. Feared, or feared. Yes, right. Uh-huh. And uh, so they have changed their behavior and so forth. I mean, I've heard stories of that. It's a powerful poem. Well, because this is coming from uh, what we what we can know of some of the biography of Hayden, too, is That's these true. very dark times that actually seem to imprint into later depressions for yes. him because of his early 
childhood and some of this, the, the violence or the, the anger that he even notes in this poem. Well, it was violence. I mean, uh, he has said in interviews that, um, you know, his father was uh, someone who was likely to kind of slap him around. And, uh, you know, the chronic angers were his resentment at being treated uh, the way he was. So and growing up, he was sort of, he was um, a slight boy that wore, had very poor vision. Yes, yes. And so these are things also that um, helped to shape him. Like maybe as I think as a, as a reader, as someone who went to stories and literature yeah. and, and he wasn't the, the most robust kid out there on the that's block. That's right. That's right. He wore, if you've ever seen pictures of Robert Hayden, you know, he wore these thick bottle glasses and, uh, when he would read, uh, he would put the book right up next to his face, uh, in order to make out the letters and so forth. But, um, he read all the time and, uh, you're right. He was not robust. He was, he never did go out and play games or anything like that. And uh, he kind of stayed in the library and read book after book. And he, he loved to read 19th century novels set in foreign countries, um, you know, like Hawthorne's The Marble Fawn or George Eliot's Romola, uh, novels set in Italy. And uh, anything any way he could escape from the privation that he was undergoing in Detroit uh, was was wonderful to him, uh, was, was welcome to him. And I think it accounts for his historical sense because some of his greatest poems are about African-American history, uh, especially, of course, Middle Passage, which is one of the classics of American literature now. Uh, one of the most important poems, according to a poll of poets, one of the 10 or 15 most important poems written in America in the 20th century. Uh, but other poems, like his poems about Harriet Tubman, uh, about Frederick Douglass, um, and, uh, and many other figures from that period. He also wrote a play about Harriet Tubman, which has never been published, um, but it was written when he was here at the University of Michigan as a student. And uh, he was in a group of playwrights and actors, which included Arthur Miller, uh, and it's <laughs> <laughs> amazing. Good. It's a good company, yes, right? like a theater uh -huh. company, good company to keep. Well, he said <laughs> that, uh, yeah, he was actually played in a, a small role in one of Arthur Miller's plays that Miller wrote when he was an undergraduate here. And then when Miller announced that he was going off to New York to seek his fortune, um, uh, Hayden said that he shook his hand and said, I have a vision that you are going to be successful when you go to New York. And of course, he was absolutely right. Um, but yes, he wrote a oh, play. And, and also, um, Hay Robert Hayden won a Hopwood when he yes, was here. Yes, he, as wrote, a he won two Hopwood Awards. Yes. Uh huh. And, and, uh, and he was here for graduate work because he had gone to Wayne State University. That's right. Uh, which, which was called Detroit City College at that time. At the yes. time. And mm -hmm. before coming to Michigan, Larry, did, mm -hmm. um, he, he actually worked for the Federal Writers Project yes, in uh -huh. Detroit. Yes. Did you ever talk with um, Robert Hayden about 
his time doing that before he came to Michigan. Only that, you know, he it was a very exciting time for him because uh, he could, he published poems, he published, uh, he wrote a newspaper uh, column with regular commentaries. I don't think this material has ever been republished, uh, and I hope, I wish it would. He published a book of poems in 1940 when he was relatively young, Heart Shape in the Dust, uh, which is full of very interesting work. Of course, it's, you know, as he always called it, his journeyman work. Uh, well, maybe and, some of the poems were more who he was reading. Like there you can almost yes. see some of the influences quite strongly. Yes, right. Uh, the Harlem Renaissance. It's really a, a kind of latter day book by Langston Hughes or someone of that sort. Uh, very um, kind of political, proletarian, uh, lots of protest poems about the way labor were treated and black people were treated and of course about matters like lynching and things of that sort yes. um, the Scottsboro boys case so and this is sort of this is because his work with the federal writers project in yes. Detroit was about black history exactly. was a, and and f- like folk history and yes. um, and this is around the time when he got married too yes Larry. Uh-huh. I got married about 1940 I think it was just after he had published that book, as if, you know, the book was going to guarantee that there would be uh, money coming in or something like that. Actually, he knew that would not be the case. But Irma, his wife, uh, was a uh, music teacher. And I think she kind of, for a while, carried the family through. Um, And uh, they had a daughter, Maya, uh, who lives in Ann Arbor now, and she will be at the Robert Hayden Centennial Conference. so, um, and is this when he also converted his faith because yes. he had grown up maybe in a was it a Baptist, Baptist household? Yes, Larry, um, can can you yes, tell us he, a little bit about this? He has some wonderful poems about the Second Baptist Church, which is now, you know, of course, in Greek Town and is a uh, a place that all tourists visit when they come to Detroit because it has such a storied history. But um, he. Uh, First Irma, and then he converted to the Baha'i faith, uh, which is a kind of ecumenical religion, um, which kind of observes and credits all other religions and tries to synthesize them in certain ways to kind of take the the best that each religion has to offer and put it into a kind of new package. So the Baha'is, you know, they've had a troubled history. Uh, They're centered, unfortunately, in Iran, which is very unsympathetic to them. But uh, in America, the Baha'i faith has grown, I believe, and... um, uh, he, you know, was the uh, poetry editor for World Order, which was their official publication and still is. So, um, yeah, he was, you know, and he has written a number of poems about the Baha'i faith. Uh, so it, it it seems like his um, this 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 um, desire of his to be like opening outward, like mm-hmm. this maybe this this capacity for understanding something that's more universal not like not so narrow like Mm -hmm. more of this more inclusive as you explained it Larry Faith um Mm -hmm. I think that's also interesting too because 
didn't Robert Hayden also face during his, like, in, at some point in part of his career where people thought maybe he could be writing, like, his poems weren't necessarily talking about specifically African-American mm-hmm. um, uh, I, I don't know what, what people were considering at yes. that point, what maybe he they thought he should be writing. Yes. And he uh, always seemed to think, no, I'm writing more American poetry. Yes. But but obviously, as you've already told us, he's thinking about Black history. He's writing oh, yes. every all of it. It's both. It's a terrible irony that he was stigmatized in the 1960s by the Black Arts Movement uh, for not writing street poetry, vernacular poetry, not sort of joining the crusade, not writing angry poetry, uh, protesting uh, the prejudice and so forth, when in fact there's no poet you can think of who is more committed to the struggle, you might say, uh, for equality uh, than Hayden, and that so many of his poems are on just that subject, but the language of them is more traditional than the black arts movement liked. It was too British, too much influenced by Yeats, they claimed, uh, and writers like that rather than sort of coming out of the ghetto speech and so forth, the way uh, writing by the black arts poets came. So Which was they, also a necessary movement in the time. Yes. It's, it's just somehow, it's it's sad that someone has to be set mm. up in sort of a, 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 a as a foil for that instead right. of it being more there's many voices that's right he became sort of the you know the the uncle tom as they called him you know someone who was kind of beholden to the white world rather than to the black world for his reputation and so forth and this was when he was at fisk university in that time and then also the university of washington as a writer uh in residence yes uh uh-huh this is yeah during the period of the 50 1950s and he was he was you know in and out of michigan as well um But uh, it's just incomprehensible to me as I go back over his poems and I read poems uh, like um, uh, Morning Poem for the Queen of Sunday or Middle Passage, Passage, which are full of the idioms of of Africans and African-Americans and attentive to the struggle um, that he, of all people, should be picked on. Um, And I think that a lot of the poets did uh, and critics did apologize later once they got out of the 60s uh, and realized that they had made a mistake. So So he, he withstood it. Yes, he did. But he talked about it all the time. I mean, you could never have a long conversation with Robert Hayden in which he did not at some point complain about the way he was treated. Well, it almost uh, feels bullying in yes, a way, it too. Was. And, mm-hmm. and But now in this other realm of, of words and language and art that he mm-hmm. had come to as some sort of a uh, his own world. Yes. And well, let's hear him read Frederick Douglass, okay. Larry, shall uh-huh. we? We'll, we'll take a short break here and hear Robert Hayden reading his poem, Frederick Douglass. Frederick Douglass was a very great man, a 19th century figure, who was a voice for the Negro and who was a great and powerful human voice, too. He was concerned with the freedom of women. He was concerned with uh, all the progressive movements of his time, was... Uh, he was he was truly a very great American, and uh, 
In this poem, I try to pay homage to him. Frederick Douglass. When it is finally ours, this freedom, this liberty, this beautiful and terrible thing, needful to man as air, usable as earth, when it belongs at last to all, when it is truly instinct, brain matter, diastole, systole, reflex action, when it is finally won, when it is more than the gaudy mumbo-jumbo of politicians, this man, this Douglas, this former slave, this Negro beaten to his knees, exiled, visioning a world where none is lonely, none hunted, alien, this man, superb in love and logic, this man shall be remembered. Oh, not with statues' rhetoric, not with legends and poems and wreaths of bronze alone, but with the lives grown out of his life, the lives fleshing his dream of the beautiful, needful thing. Wow, that was Robert Hayden um, and his poem, Frederick Douglass. Um, and you're listening to Living Writers today. Uh, Lawrence Goldstein is here talking with me. Um, Larry, what were you going to say about the poem? There's so many things one can say about this poem. It is so interesting. Um, first of all, it was originally published in the Atlantic Monthly. And this was a breakthrough for Hayden because that was one of the most widely read intellectual journals in America. And here, he was a poet who had just published in fugitive journals that you know very few people read and suddenly there he was in the Atlantic Monthly with a poem about black history it's kind of a breakthrough for the Atlantic Monthly too I think uh, the poem wow. <laughs> yeah. the poem is a sonnet uh, you can't quite hear that but it's a, a very interesting sonnet in which the uh, octave rather than the octave sestet structure of the Petrarchan sonnet, it's inverted so that there's a sort of sestet that opens the poem and then an octave movement afterward. So it's a highly experimental sonnet. Um, and um, uh, for so, it's, so almost working again, like within mm -hmm. the form, but against it too. Exactly, so this yes. revolutionary sort of... Uh, thing happening as well as yes. he's talking about understanding exile yes uh-huh yeah um yeah it's uh it's a kind of thing he does with middle passage also and with many poems of that uh, of that era this he kind of you know he studied with wh auden yes. at uh, the university of michigan auden taught here for two years and auden told him that uh, he, he read some of Robert's poems and he said, well, these are good poems, but in the future you need to solve for X in your poems, meaning you should, <laughs> you should write as if the poem is algebra and not arithmetic, meaning you have to make it more complex. You have to kind of do something to the poem so that you're not just making declarations, but you're making an artifice that will demand that the reader reread and reread and kind of accustom himself, herself, to the kind of peculiar and original way in which you are making the claims and and providing imagery and uh, settings and unusual linguistic features for 
your readers. And so that's what he started doing, and that was really the point at which um, he began to write major poetry. And he was always grateful to Auden for that. Uh, And they kept in touch and got together a couple times, uh, I think in New York City, to talk about poetry and exchange books and so forth. But... um, That was a turning point in his life, and I think that poem was a turning point in his career. The Middle Passage or Frederick Douglass? Frederick Douglass and and Middle Passage. They came out, I think, in the same year. Mm -hmm. Um, The Middle Passage was originally published in uh, an anthology of kind of new writing um, that attracted a lot of attention. And that poem became canonical very quickly. It became, it was put into other anthologies. It was written about. And as I said earlier. It feels epic, doesn't it? Yes. uh, He's compressed a whole epic amount of material. he got the idea for Middle Passage by reading uh, John Brown's Body, a book-length poem by Stephen Vincent Benet uh, about the Civil War. And Benet at one point says that he is unable to write about black people. Uh, he said it's just beyond him as a white poet. He says, oh, black-skinned epic Epic with a long black spear, I cannot sing you now, having too white a heart. And Hayden always said that when he read that passage, he thought, okay, I will be the one to write the black-skinned epic. And in fact, his Hopwood Award-winning manuscript at Michigan is titled The Black Spear, um, so uh, directly connecting yes, to this. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, so he felt that he you know, was going to be a historian of the Afri- African-American people. And although he never writes an epic, he never writes a book-length poem, you could say that all the poems he wrote about black history taken together are a kind of composite epic. An epic in which the hero is the African-American person, the African-American subject. Um, And in that sense, it's a major contribution to American letters. When, so when he when Robert Hayden came to Michigan, Larry, was it to work particularly with Auden? Was he um, because this is after he'd been to his he'd done his undergrad work. He mm-hmm. um, at Wayne State. He had been part of this federal writers project yes. where he'd been and writing these newspaper articles yes, and uh-huh. publishing the first. He was also an actor in Detroit, and he wrote plays in Detroit. Um, yeah, very complex history. And he and he, but he came to Michigan to particularly study with Auden, well, or was that came, a happy accident? I think it was a happy there. accident. He came to get his Master of Arts degree, and Auden happened to be here. Um, you know, Robert Frost had taught at University of Michigan in 1921, 1922, and. Uh, he always referred, Frost always referred to that. Um, and I think Michigan had the idea, well, we had such success uh, with a major poet, let's do that again. And hired W.H. Auden, who, of course, had come over to America to avoid having to fight in World War II and uh, was very happy to be given the assignment or given the job to teach at the University of Michigan. And uh, Hayden just 
you know, happened to be here and the two of them hit it off. Uh, and, um, did you talk with Robert Hayden about his, his time with Auden? Mm-hmm. Um, he talked a little bit about it. Um, you know, of course, he was not the only person that Auden was interested in. Auden worked with a number of graduate students and undergraduates uh, uh, on poetry. But I think that he, Auden felt that Hayden might be the, the very best student. Hayden did tell me a kind of funny anecdote that uh, the last time they met, um, Hayden's one of Hayden's books had just come out. I think it might have been Words for the Morning Time. And so he brought it to Auden's apartment and asked him if he would sign it after they had some conversation. And... Auden said, yes, well, give me, give me some time here. And so Hayden, you know, kind of, as he said, pretended to be interested in the books uh, on the bookshelves. And supposedly Auden was writing a very original inscription. And he gave Hayden the book and Hayden walked downstairs and immediately opened the (laughs) book to see what Auden had written. And Auden had written, best wishes, W.H. Auden. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, that would disappoint any poet so did Auden have like did he he do that with a sense of humor or do you think he was just Uh, inspiration just failed him Um, and uh, maybe it was his policy everybody check your books if you've got a signed copy does it always say best wishes because he's like I can't do this anymore you know was a master of language and he could improvise he could well he didn't solve for X there did he Larry no that's pure arithmetic that's third grade arithmetic <laughs> yes oh that is so that is funny well it's i love to picture you mm-hmm. like down the hall from your offices or mm-hmm. kitty corner from robert mm-hmm. hayden those times and and you came out of like you had graduated from brown university yes. and you were were you starting your career as an academic then larry yes, when you was, arrived that was my i came here in 1970 um and uh Hayden was really amazingly not even that well known in 1970 and I think the you know in the department maybe they did not we did not treat him um, as well as we should but uh in 1973, was it, um, he published Words in the Morning Time, which is his meditation on the 1960s and has a number of poems like his elegy or his memorial poem for Malcolm X and many others uh, in which he tried to come to terms with the 60s, with the violence of it and the the horror of it and the excitement of it and so forth. Um, and the book was reviewed in the New York Times. I think it might have been the cover uh, uh, the cover of the New York Times book review, reviewed by Julius Lester, who hailed it as a magnificent achievement and Hayden as a magnificent poet. And I remember the Monday after that, you know, the day after that came out and Hayden was just walking on air and uh, he, I had, I never saw him before or since in such a good mood as, <laughs> as when that came because he had labored for years, for decades in neglect. He was unable to get his books published by major publishers and now suddenly... <clears throat> 
there was interest in him and he was being anointed by the media empire and by the publishing companies and so forth. Um, uh, he was getting invitations. And of course we know that within a couple of years he would be invited to be the consultant in poetry to the library of Congress. Now known as the poet laureate. Yes. (laughs) Right. Uh huh. So, um, uh, he, he lived to see his work appreciated, and there's so many poets who don't. Uh, you know, they become famous after their death. Uh, you think of Sylvia Plath, for example. Uh, but Hayden lived, you know, just long enough, and everyone is so glad that he did to reap some of the harvest from his you know, his indomitable spirit and his wonderful work all those years. Ah, uh, yes. Mm. And then, well, Larry, the the poem was, was the poem, can you remind me, was Soledad, was that poem in that particular collection? Because I've, I've read it in the collected poem, mm-hmm. so I'm not sure which. I believe it is. Uh, let me just check here quickly. Um because uh, we have that as our, uh, we yes, can hear him reading that. Yes, it's in Words in the Morning Time, which came out in 1970, the year that I uh, first met uh, Robert. So yes, it's a, it's a wonderful poem. Uh, well, let's 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 have Robert Hayden um, okay. reading his poem. The next poem, Soledad, is about drug addiction, and um, is based on. Someone that I knew, uh, who I fear, uh, really got involved in it. Uh, Soledad uh, has been mistaken as a poem having to do with Soledad prison, but not really. Soledad is a Spanish word for loneliness or solitude, and uh, it has a special ring to it, and I have a a, a predilection for using Spanish words and phrases, and uh, that's, that's why it's called that. Naked, he lies in the blinded room, chain-smoking, cradled by drugs, by jazz, as never by any lover's cradling flesh. Miles Davis coolly blows for him, oh, pena negra, sensual flamenco blues. The red clay foxfire voice of Lady Day, lady of the pure black magnolias. Sob sings her sorrow and loss and fare you well. Dry weeps the pain, his treacherous jailers, have released him from for a while. His fears and his unfinished self await him down in the anywhere streets. He hides on the dark side of the moon, takes refuge in a stained glass cell, flees to a clockless country of crystal. Only the ghost of Lady Day knows where he is, only the music, and he swings, oh swings, beyond complete immortal now. He, I love that part when yes. he, when he swings, he mm-hmm. swing. Yes. Yes. He's kind of high and he's left the world. Uh, and because of the drugs, <clears throat> he, in, in the jazz, he is in his own self-created world, kind of solitary and enclosed and captivated. Uh, and there's something both enviable and awful about the 
the situation he's in. And so that definitely seems like there's so many layers of meaning with yes. that as well, because almost you hear that echo of swing low, sweet chariot or yes. so like a, mm-hmm. that maybe, and maybe even more grimly because we know also that it's, it's written for a, a, a friend that had this addiction, like mm-hmm. even with the idea of like lynching, like with this, what, mm-hmm. what, what takes you away mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. um, it's yeah. the ecstasy that is so close to death, uh, you know, because you are removed from the everyday habits and thoughts of uh, of the well, what Wallace Stevens calls the malady of the quotidian. Mm. You've escaped the malady of the quotidian, and now you are in this this kind of uh, removed and special place. Uh, it's a beautiful poem. Every line is wonderful. I mean, it's one of his most achieved poems, line by line. Um, so when you say achieved poems, yeah. you mean like the att- like everything in every line. Everything is, is working together. Highly... Yeah. I mean, in most poems by any poet, there's always you know maybe one weak point, one stanza that kind of is not as good as the ones before or after, or one image that just doesn't do the carrying power that it needs to. But here, it's just pure. Um, It's just perfect. And uh, Hayden used to come to my classes uh, because I would always teach. uh, At that time, I guess it was Angle of Ascent, which was the volume of selected poems. And I would invite him. He would come and read poems and talk about them and answer students' questions about them. I mean, there are many students out there, many former students, who will remember Hayden coming and very genially presenting his work. And Soledad was one that he always read. Um, Perhaps he thought that students would be especially interested in a poem about drug taking, but uh, I think it's also because well, such sadness in that poem yes uh-huh yes it's, it's tragedy. Almost, yes uh-huh. it's almost like he is saying uh you know don't get into this um i know the appeal of it i know the attraction of it and i'm representing that but there's also this pain uh the pain of withdrawal the pain of withdrawing from the uh society from friends and family and simply cocooning yourself in this private world world, uh, the solitary world. That, that it is, yes, with the solitude of that. And mm-hmm. that that um, he calls upon Lady Day, Billie Holiday, yes, uh-huh. in this poem. Be- and of course, he uses Miles Davis's flamenco sketches from the album Kind of Blue, which is, I suppose, Miles Davis's <clears throat> most famous album um, and has some of his most compelling music. So here again, I mean, in terms of making a connection with African-American culture. Hayden is there doing it. And at the same time, there are these people from the black arts uh, movement who are saying, you know, you're withdrawing from the African-American culture. And clearly he wasn't. Uh, and this poem proves it, one of many that proves it. And and Larry, so when, when you were uh, talking with Robert Hayden, what are, is there... Is there any moment that stands out to you 
that was really surprising to you that as you think about the memories of him, as you're getting ready for the Centennial Conference, he must be with you a lot in yes, memory I, now. I have been thinking about him a lot. Um, and I guess uh, one of my chief memories of him is when I met him uh, by chance at the uh, airport, the Detroit airport. And uh, he had missed a plane and he had something like a, a three or four hour wait for the next plane. And I happened to be walking by. I had just dropped off my wife, who was an airline stewardess for Pan American at that time. A shout out to Nancy. Yes, right. <laughs> Nancy, if you're listening in Ann Arbor. Uh, I hope so. <laughs> and um, so he called me, you know, he was sitting in a diner there at the airport. He called me in and... Um, we talked for maybe two or three hours, and that was the longest time together, I think, that we had ever talked. And, um, you know, he talked very honestly about a lot of things in his life, uh, what he calls his personal demons um, that he had fought all his life, um, starting with his unhappiness in his family situation. I mean, the family that he grew up with, uh, the Haydens. Uh, so, um, you know, all of that, uh, I think, is covered in, you know, to an extent, to the extent that one would want to talk about it in the biographies that have been written about Hayden. There are three biographies uh, or biographical studies of the poetry. Uh, but um, what I think of chiefly is those afternoons uh, on the seventh floor of Haven Hall. And in fact, when I was editing the book Writing Ann Arbor, an anthology of writings about Ann Arbor, uh, I thought, well, surely there must be a poem by Hayden that I could include. And the only one that I felt I could authentically say this happened in Ann Arbor uh, is a poem of his called The Performers. And uh, it's a poem of, that happened, well, that was occasioned by Hayden in his office on the seventh floor, turning around and seeing two window washers kind of suspended. They're seven floors up, washing his windows. I could read it Lovely, if there's time. That would be great. Okay, yeah. Um, and uh, it occurred to me uh, because of, Recently, because about a week ago, I had the same experience. I walked into my office on the third floor of uh, Angel Hall, and there were two window washers. Um, so this it's, poem, which is uh, also a sonnet. Um, it's funny how those things start happening, isn't yes. it? When you're Because you have this heightened awareness. So Robert Hayden was coming to you in these different ways. Yeah. But this is also a kind of comic poem by Hayden, and that's a rarity. I mean, he had a terrific sense of humor, uh, but his poems tend to be more dark and mis mysterious and dramatic. Uh, but this one is just pure whimsicality. Uh, the performers. Easily, almost matter-of-factly, they step to minor Walendas with pale and squeegee along the wintry ledge, hook their harness to the wall, and leaning back into a seven-story angle of space, begin washing the office windows. I am up there, too, until straps break and iron, paper, apple, iron, I fall through plate glass wind on to stalagmites below. 
but am safely at my desk again by the time the hairline walkers, high-edge balancers, in their center ring routine and crawl inside. A rough day, I remark, for such a risky business. Many thanks. Thank you, sir, one of the men replies. I guess that's exactly how it happened. And he caught that moment uh, in which, you know, he himself begins to fantasize that he's washing a window and then falling down to the ground. Uh, the winter ground. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> and then resurrected, he's back in his office and he's thanking the men for washing his windows. It's a charming poem. And again, every line is just perfect. It, and, and embodies and enacts what it has to do to make this a successful poem. Robert Hayden, the poet, and his poems, Larry, they've mm-hmm. they've meant so much to you. Yes, uh-huh. yes. I uh, whenever people ask me, uh, you know, gee, I'd like to get into poetry a little bit more. Uh, who would you recommend I read? And I always give them two Ann Arbor figures. I say, well, if you're just starting out. Jane Kenyon, uh, a wonderful poet uh, who, again, I met in 1970 when I first arrived, and Robert Hayden. And sometimes I hear from them later thanking me, saying they read both poets and they are just in love with both of them. Do you think because you knew Robert Hayden that this is also, um, it changed you as a poet? Larry? I think so, yes. I think you learn from every poet who you read repetitively and attentively, and that's what I have done. I have taught his book of poems in many classes. I'll be teaching it again next semester. Um, I teach a course in Faulkner's fiction and Hayden's poetry, kind of as a you know, teaching them together for interesting effects. And uh, that is true. Uh, I think, you know, whenever you immerse yourself so deeply in another poet's work, of course, you begin using kind of tricks of the trade and gestures and imagery and so forth that you pick up from them. And, and, those, and those moments in the hallway... Yes. Then too, <laughs> right? Uh-huh. That you have, yeah, yeah. And it was a friendship, and friendship is a great subject of poetry. Uh, Hayden, you know, he has dedicated a number of his poems to different individuals, uh, including a couple who I know very well, and uh, I think that's he's he's making the point by doing that that poetry is about people. He said in one of his interviews that he is a people poet, that, you know, he's much more interested in people than in things or abstract ideas, and he loves to write about people. I want to say also about Hayden as a comic poem, I think one of the funniest poems I know is called Unidentified Flying Object, and it's a narrative about a man who, who... whose um, girlfriend has has gone missing, and he's got this story that she was abducted by a UFO, and he's trying to kind of persuade another person in the poem of this of this fantastical story <laughs> when I'm afraid that, you know, this is the darker part of the comedy that he has probably killed her uh, because she was kind of refusing his attentions. Um, Ah. But it's a wonderful poem. 
brilliant. I mean, again, every line is just perfect. But we can see, I mean, and how, and you have said that several times this afternoon, Larry. <laughs> yes. We can see what you feel for poet uh, Robert Hayden yes. and his work. Yes. Um, and so just to remind everyone, a Centennial Conference, Robert Hayden, um, will be happening next Friday, um, November 1st at Rackham Amphitheater. Um, Larry will be there. Uh, also Harriet Mullen giving the keynote address. Um, thank you so much for talking with us today, talking with me today, Larry, and, and sharing the stories and your knowledge about Robert Hayden and his, his poems. Thank you. And I want to tell you that Robert Hayden used to listen to the original version of this show, the <laughs> 1970s version. Uh, and he always would tell me if I missed it myself, you know, kind of who was being interviewed and what was said and how delightful it was to have a show taking place in Ann Arbor in which writers were interviewed. So we kind of come full circle. Here. I hope we did him proud today, Larry. Yeah, I hope, I hope so. so. I hope so. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to Lawrence Goldstein for being the guest today on Living Writers, um, the poet Robert Hayden, a centennial conference um, coming up next week, November 1st. I'm T. Hetzel. Thanks for listening, everyone. Until next time. In my solitude, you haunt me with revelries of days gone by. sending out the signals, setting up outside. The one-two pitch, fastball, swing, and a miss. He struck him out. Jim Brower with his 200th career strikeout to end the top of the second inning. And Brower is now just the eighth pitcher in Michigan Wolverine.